From Futuro Media and PRX, it's in the thick. I'm Julio Ricardo Varela. And I'm Renee Graham, and this is ITT Sound Off. Welcome back, Renee, filling in for Mariana Hosa, who is on a reporting trip. So I'm glad you're back. Just keeping the chair a little warm, but it's always great to be here. Yeah. All right. So let's get to it with our first topic, which is the House GOP. All right. Here we go with Kevin McCarthy as the new House Speaker and Republicans back in the majority. It's expected that Representatives Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar, who were removed from previous committees because of extremist comments and social media posts, will be once again given committee assignments. So Green is going to be on the Homeland Security Committee, okay? And Gosar is going to be on the House Natural Resources Committee. And for all you Puerto Ricans out there, that's what manages Puerto Rico's territorial status. So (laughs) I'm very intrigued. Um, And both will be seated on the House Oversight and Accountability Committee, along with Representative Scott Perry and Lauren Boebert, all of whom voted against certifying the 2020 election results. And one of the oversight committee's top priorities will be to investigate the Biden administration. And even George, uh, George Santos, Representative George Santos. I keep thinking of the John Lovitz character, the liar, you know, from Saturday Night Live. Every time I mention his name, it's like, yeah, and then I did this, right? How do you get away with lying about your entire life story is above and beyond me. But anyway, he was given two committee assignments small business and science. So PBS NewsHour co-anchor Amna Nawaz talked about the significance of all this on MSNBC. So let's take a listen. Comments that Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene was censured for removed from those committees included a history of anti-Semitism, of racist remarks, claiming that deadly school shootings were uh, faked, um, also pushing the kinds of conspiracy theories that we know have fueled violence in the real world, in particular political violence, and in particular being on the Homeland Security Committee. I, I do want to point out, it gets a lot of attention, obviously, Homeland Security for its immigration policies and oversight and border enforcement. Homeland Security is also responsible for fighting domestic extremism, and those domestic threats that we have seen growing here in America, specifically white national kind of extremism, political violence that we've seen that's been fueled from conspiracy theories, many of the same conspiracy theories that Congresswoman herself was pushing. And I think there's a real concern there about how seriously someone who has in many ways contributed to that can oversee that kind of committee. All right, Renee, please walk me through all this. You know, there's, there's really nowhere to start with this except to say that Kevin McCarthy is a feckless clown. Wow. He's Pinocchio in reverse. He's the man who became a puppet. And that process began long before he started handing over the House keys to the Chaos Caucus. To give these people this kind of power, this is like asking police to police themselves. You're going to put the extremist in charge of investigating domestic terrorism. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke, and it puts this country at extraordinary risk. And what's amazing is, while everyone was sort of marveling at all the things we were seeing on camera during the whole speaker fight, what we weren't seeing is what really mattered. And that was Kevin McCarthy playing Let's Make a Deal with the worst people imaginable. He's not going to get this close. He was never going to get this close 
to being speaker and not do everything he had to do to get that gavel in his hands. And this is where we've landed with people who were kicked off of committees because of their extremist views, because of their perpetuation of violence. This is where we are. Marjorie Taylor Greene, who said last month that if she and Steve Bannon had been in charge of January 6th, we would have won and they would have been armed. This woman is now on the Homeland Security Committee. Yeah, there's so much here. Um, Power. Yeah, this is about power. Mm -hmm. Right. And Kevin McCarthy has decided to make that Monty Hall-esque, let's make a deal, whatever he did. I mean, we don't know the backdoor deals, but I think it's also fleeting, Renee, given how much the extreme wing of the Republican Party will be controlling the House. Like you mentioned, McCarthy as the puppet. Mm-hmm. I mean, he messes up once. It's They could boot him, right? So right. they have achieved power, right? And this is the bigger problem that I'm finding with all this is because they infiltrated democratic institutions. Mm-hmm. The political media is going to cover this as if it's just like, oh, they're part of a committee. So right. you know what I'm saying? It's like you're, you're part of a committee. So now you have to cover it like a committee when in fact there's a deeper issue that political journalists, they tend to ignore, is this notion of like, this is legitimate, right? And right. look through the lens of what they've said and understand that this is just like Maria Hinojosa says, like the perpetual attempted coup that's been going on. And I'm worried that we're going to see two years of games and bullshit and grandstanding. Two years is a long time. You know, Kevin McCarthy literally sacrificed power to get power, which means he's not a leader. He's a hostage, right? He's got to do whatever they say because he can be voted out so easily because that's another thing he gave up. So, you know, Again, it's going to be a very long two years. I do think the voters will certainly have their say about this. They'll be sick of it. But, you know, we're in for some miserable grief for the next two years. I'll just say one last thing. You know, House Republicans created a new select committee led by Jim Jordan to investigate bias against conservatives. (laughs) And this is the New York Times, a new Republican-controlled House of Representatives proposed select committee which plans to investigate the weaponization of government is being described as the new church committee after a group of senators who investigated the FBI, the CIA, and other groups from 1975 to 1976. <sighs> I'll just simply say I look forward to seeing how all of this will address inflation. <laughs> or just like actual social issues, right? Moving on to our second topic, the arrest of Solomon Pena in New Mexico. Pena is an election denier and a Republican who lost his race for a New Mexico state house in the 2022 election. And in the latest example of political violence in the country, he was arrested earlier this week for his involvement in drive-by shootings targeting the homes of four state and local Democratic leaders in the Albuquerque area. Pena is accused of orchestrating and paying four men to carry out these shootings, which luckily nobody was hurt in. Pena has also made social media posts claiming his loss was the result of election fraud. Mm. State Senator Linda Lopez, one of the Democrats who was targeted, talked about the rise of political violence on MSNBC. Let's listen. You know, with what happened with us in our in our in my home, it it was it's disheartening, Um, angry, very anger that I felt. And on occasion, it still riles me um, just to think about how close this could have had um, a serious injury to my family. But 
ultimately, what I think what it comes down to is that this country needs to really take a look at itself internally. The insurrection that happened, all of the other um, problems that are arising, the violence that is there, we have to look at ourselves and figure out what road are we going to take. Julio, we're two years since the insurrection. Election denialism is still very prevalent. Does any of this surprise you? It doesn't. And, you know, let's just step back because I'm sure I'm going to get the tweets and it's like, well, Solomon Pena, of course. (laughs) Yes. Latino. Yes. Trump supporter. Vocal supporter, according to NBC News. He was photographed during his campaign last year wearing a Make America Great Again sweatshirt, right? So I have written about this in the last two weeks about Mm -hmm. MAGA Latinos and Latinas that have been with President Trump since 2016. I got a little shit (laughs) from, (laughs) from people, but the truth is the truth. And what I said is like, this is definitely a factor in... American politics, and this does not surprise me, but this is the scary part, Renee. This is according to police, if you've been following this story. And police said that Pena may have been motivated by anger over his election loss. So he ran in November against incumbent state representative Miguel Garcia, you know, a longtime Democrat representing House District 14 in New Mexico. And Pena only got 26% of the vote. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you lost, bro. And now you're going to, like, you know, (laughs) practice political violence. You know what I mean? It's like, that's the part that really scares me, Renee, because now that you have this House committee and domestic terror, like, this is domestic terrorism. Absolutely. Right? And is this going to be investigated by the House? No. You know what I mean? No, I don't don't think it will be. You know, I think this situation of where do we get to the point where it's like you lose an election and the next thing you do is become a domestic terrorist and go after the people in the opposing party. But that's becoming, I hate to even use the word, normalized in America. You know, people kind of forget, you know, in Arizona, Carrie Lake is still sort of stomping her stilettos and claiming she should be governor of Arizona in a race that she lost. Katie Hobbs has been sworn in. And the fact that Carrie Lake won't let this go keeps telling people something must be there. Otherwise, she wouldn't still be doing this. Right. You know, there's this way that election denialism is becoming legitimized and the violence that it brings out becoming, I think, as was it Ronald McDaniel said at that time, uh, legitimate political discourse. Right. Because and this is where I take such issue with how we frame this. Right. We've allowed Mm -hmm. the big lie to become part of the mainstream conversation and this is what happens, right? Right. And please don't come after me with a like, well, he's Latino. It's like, duh, I've been saying this, you know, Maria and I have been saying this the moment Trump went down that escalator and with his anti-Mexican comments and we're not surprised, but this is what's happening now, right? Mm-hmm. Political violence and people are just like, meh, whatever. You know, he's Republican. You know, the Republicans are they're not going to condemn this. And this is just scary as hell. And I I always think it's just worth mentioning that white supremacy has never been sustained by white people alone. Thank you. Terrell Starr said this. He said this on In the Thick. And uh, thank you for saying this, Renee, because (laughs) you do not have to be white to practice white supremacy. Exactly. From Futuro Media and PRX, Latino Rebels Radio is an award-winning OG Latino podcast. 
covering stories of the Latino experience that matter in the United States, the Caribbean, Central America, South America, and even parts of the universe. Lo que sea. Created for, about, and by Latinos. Join us every Thursday by subscribing to Latino Rebels Radio wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Renee. I'm really glad you're on this show so we can talk about our final topic because we're both based in Boston mm-hmm. and it's about the Embrace, which is the 22 foot tall bronze sculpture commemorating Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta Scott King that was unveiled last week in downtown Boston. The sculpture depicts the two of them, rather their arms wrapped in a hug. It's based on the fact that they both met in Boston, right? This is where they met. That's where they became a couple in Boston when he was in Boston University and she was up here. Mm -hmm. So there have been mixed reactions to the sculpture, which was created by artist Hank Willis Thomas from absolute praise to downright criticism to jokes on Twitter Mm -hmm. and The Daily Show. I'm serious. I'm serious. Has anyone in here ever participated in the munching, munch, munch, munch? Because they celebrating you right now. They are celebrating you in Boston right now. Lord. Listen, listen, I know Dr. King went down in history, but this is not how you show it. But let's hear what the sculptor, Hank Willis Thomas, told ABC News about what he wanted people to get from the embrace. There are so many monuments to the kings that we don't see them as real people. We don't actually relate to them. And I feel like I wanted to make a monument that gave us an opportunity to both connect to them because not everyone has the ability to embrace with their arms, but all of us have been embraced. And I wanted to symbolize the power of that love. And everyone who goes inside and looks up and feels that that power, I hope you get to do it, is like touched in the way that I was really praying for when we made this. All right, Renee, you saw the sculpture in person. Mm-hmm. This is actually what your latest opinion for the Boston Globe is all about. Thank you for writing about it. Share your thoughts, you know, the Leslie Jones clip and other things and the jokes and what Hank Willis Thomas said. And give me your thoughts about all this, because this this has taken off. I mean, I, I you know, for me, it's like last Friday I was watching the ceremony in Boston. Mm-hmm. I know exactly where that place is. And I was like, wow, this is beautiful. You know, I watched the ceremony as well. And I've been very ambivalent about the embrace from the time they revealed the design. I just didn't get it. It just looked like a tangle of arms. And I'm like, where are their heads and where are their faces? I didn't get it. Yeah. I watched the ceremony. The ceremony was great. Wonderful speeches, the King family, all of that. And then came this sort of deluge of criticism. And it wasn't just, oh, I don't care for it. It went deep. It went yeah. beyond just, I don't like this sculpture to there was something inherently racist about the sculpture, yeah. that there was something strangely sexual about the sculpture, which I certainly hadn't seen. And so I just decided I need to go look at this thing for myself. Right. You know, so I left the office. I walked down there a few days ago and I could see the crowds sort of milling about beforehand. This is like a Tuesday afternoon yeah. and people were taking pictures. But what you can do with this sculpture is you can go sort of into the sculpture. You can walk under the sculpture. You can touch the sculpture. And that's where it felt very different to me and actually very moving because people were sort of rubbing, you know, 
the metal. They were leaning their hands against it. They were looking at they were looking at the detail of, you know, Coretta Scott King's wedding ring, the buttons on Martin's suit cuff. I mean, it was all these things. There's something very tactile about this that you normally don't get with monuments and memorials. And in the piece I wrote, I make the comparison to say that this is much more like the Vietnam Wall in Washington, D.C. than, say, the Lincoln Memorial. The Lincoln Memorial is just massive, yeah. and it's high, but it almost, it turns Lincoln into a god, and it makes anyone who's standing in front of it feel very small and almost insignificant. Right. With the Vietnam Wall, you touch it, you can trace it with your hands, you can, you can put your fingers on those names, and that's what this is like. There's a way that there's an engagement with the embrace that I think makes it very, very different than a lot of the memorials we see. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And and I just want to take a moment to acknowledge the location of where the sculpture is. I think this is an incredibly historic moment for the city of Boston and for the greater Boston area, mm-hmm. given its history of racial division and tension and violence and white supremacy. People don't realize where this is located in Boston common. If you just go down the street to city hall. Like that's where the famous, you know, white man impaling, you know, black man with the flag over school busing happened in the seventies. Right. Not that far away. Mm-hmm. Not that far away because Boston, you know, this is where we're going to get a little bit. Too Welcome to the Boston part of the, in the <laughs> thick show, but it's compact. And I think you're absolutely right. Everyone who has gone this week and I'm talking friends, I have yet to see it. But I can only imagine because you know that area is, is very tight and compact. Mm-hmm. Boston Common is kind of like like a fake Central Park, you know, let's just be honest. <laughs> so it, it has a presence in a place where you don't expect it, right? Mm-hmm. There were talks about putting this in more predominantly black neighborhoods in Boston. I actually think it was bold of the city. It was bold of the artists. It was bold of the King family. It was bold of all the leaders that were involved in making this happen for the city of Boston to put it smack dab in probably the tourist area of of the city, right? Could not agree more. And the thing is, let's just take a moment and throw the fucking internet and the social media away. (laughs) When can we just, public art and art in general is part of the human condition for centuries, right? Right. I welcome this. I welcome this and I'm proud that it's in Boston and I'm proud that I've been living in this area for over 30 years, and I cannot wait to see this because I'm going to get the chills. I read your piece, and I know exactly, I feel that because I know what you, I can just imagine being in Boston Common in that moment. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually looking forward to going down there and going, this is happening in my city. Well, you know, let let me just say, since the unveiling last week, I kept getting text messages and and emails and DMs from people saying, what do you think about it? I'm like, I haven't seen it yet. And I thought, I'm not going to talk about it until I've actually been. I want to reserve judgment. Right. It's like, I'm not going to review, talk about a film or review a film I haven't actually watched. Exactly. Right. So that was the thing. I wanted to go down there and I wanted to see it. I was deeply moved and I couldn't agree with you more about the placement of it, putting it in the heart of Boston and not putting it. You know, in the neighborhoods where you find every Martin Luther King Boulevard, right. this should be for everyone to see in the heart of the city right. and not tucked away in some corner. You know, so I, I like the monument. I think it's going to grow in prominence for a lot of people in the same way people didn't like the Vietnam Wall 40 years ago. And now it's one of the most popular in Washington, D.C. I think the same is going to come with the embrace. And I will promise you this, Renee, when I go, I'm going to videotape it and put it on Twitter and tag you. Please do. Your opinion piece. 
really brought it home for me and just confirmed what my gut, even though I haven't seen it, it confirmed my gut. Uh So I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, Boston rocks. So don't knock on my city. Like that's (laughs) what I'm just saying. All right. I'm Julio Ricardo Varela. And I am Renee Graham. And remember, go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review us because it really, really helps. You can also do a review from Renee Graham saying, what a fabulous guest host Renee has been the last couple of weeks. And you can now listen In The Thick on all major podcast platforms. Check us out on the web at inthethick.org. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at In The Thick Show. Like us on Facebook. Tell your friends. And be sure to follow Renee Graham's work at the Boston Globe. And get a subscription. Support local journalism. In the Thick is produced by Noor Saudi, Harsha Nahata Oscar Fernandez, and our New York Women's Foundation Ignite fellow, Daniela Tello Garzon. Our editorial director is Fernanda Santos. Our audio engineering team is Stephanie LeBeau, Julia Caruso, Gabriela Baez, and JJ Carubin. Our marketing manager is Luis Luna. The music you heard is courtesy of Nacional, kept in ZZK Records. Renee, thank you again for being on. You were great, as always. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. Peace out, y'all. Always my pleasure, and support your local newspaper. Yeah! (laughs) I got, like, DMs from people this week saying, Renee's awesome. Oh, cool. Like, you are well-respected, my friend. Let's not take it too far. Okay. The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Futuro Media or its employees.